Hey, welcome. Glad that you are here. Glad you're with us today. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us online as well. You know, I'll, I'll take the opportunity also to say happy 4th of July. You know, today as a nation, we're celebrating our independence and it falls on a Sunday today. And we get to get together with our church family. You know, usually we're together with family and friends and, and celebrating. We're We'll get together, get together with our church family and, and worship today. But I still hope you remember why we celebrate the 4th of July. One of the reasons our forefathers came to America was looking for freedom from persecution, religious persecution. And one of the freedoms that are guaranteed us as Americans is the freedom to do exactly what we're doing today, to worship God. And to read his word and to pray to him and not have to worry about someone breaking down the doors and hauling us all away. It's a tremendous freedom. A lot of people don't enjoy that. Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose, Lord is the God, whose God is the Lord. We are a blessed nation. And I know there's problems and I know there's wrongs that need to be righted, but when they open the gates, people rush in. They don't rush out. So, uh, oh. We need to thank God for the way he's blessed us as a nation. And also, prayers that as a nation, we, we turn to God and allow him to heal our land. Um, God bless America, not just a song. Um, and of course, the reason why we're together this morning is, as I said, to worship. We're here to worship God, to practice that freedom of religion. And as you can see, I am continuing my thoughts around this idea of hashtags and labels. And I want to start with a question that has nothing to do with a hashtag or a label. But my question is, how many of you have ever used a piece of exercise equipment to hang clothes on? <laughs> Anyone willing to admit that? Okay, okay very good. Good, you know, a stair stepper, elliptical, you know, stationary bike. We hang clothes. I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. And my guess is those of you who didn't raise your hand either have never owned a piece of exercise equipment or you didn't keep it in the same room where you kept coat hangers. Now, one of the most popular items at any yard sale, estate sale, marketplace, Craigslist is used consumer-grade exercise equipment. And the definition of that equipment is always the same. Like new. <laughs> it is like new. That's how it's always advertised. And then when you go look at it, and you're thinking about buying, you think, well, they're right. It is like new. Like this thing's never been used before. I've never seen a piece of exercise equipment advertised as almost worn out. Or used every single day. It's always like new. And here's something kind of interesting about the people who were the original buyers of that exercise equipment, you know, the people who bought it brand new, like a lot of us. The thing we have, all have in common, we all are believers, right? We all believe that this piece of equipment is going to help us. We all believe that we're going to use this piece of equipment to help us get in better shape. We're all believers. 
We believe in fitness. We believe in exercise. We believe in getting in shape. We believe it's better to be active than inactive. We believe that it's time to get off the couch and do something. The reason why you can buy used exercise equipment in like new condition isn't because people didn't believe it. It's because they never did anything with it. They didn't use it for the purpose that it was meant to be used. When it comes to exercise equipment, too many of us, we don't act on what we believe in. When it comes to our health, when it comes to nutrition, exercise, diet, what we believe, the things that we believe, has absolutely no bearing on our health. Think about it. What you decide to believe about your eating habits and your exercise habits has absolutely nothing to do with how healthy you are. The only thing that matters is, what am I going to do with what I believe? In fact, if we got everybody together and said, okay, what do you believe about exercise? We'd all agree on the same thing. Nutrition, you know, fitness. We'd all agree. Well, I need to exercise more. I need to quit eating junk food and fast food and fry food. You know, I, I, I need to get busy. I need to get active. But that doesn't have anything to do with how healthy we are. It's the doing that matters. Now, you're all sitting in church this morning, or you're watching a sermon online. You know where I'm going with this, right? The same things that hold true with you know, exercising and using the equipment holds true for us Christians as well. Everyone who calls themselves a Christian, now we all believe, right? In fact, if we got everybody together that calls themselves Christians, we would probably all pretty much agree on a lot of the same things. Now, we, uh, there's things that none of us would dispute. And there's a reason for that. You know, we talked about this last week. Becoming a Christian is easy. Being a Jesus follower, that's hard. Because... Christians, believers, we don't always act on what we say we believe. We believe what the New Testament teaches. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We believe the words of Jesus. You get all Christians together, they're going to agree to all those things, but we don't actually forgive. We don't actually love our neighbors, let alone our enemies. Some of you have never been baptized, even though the, the Bible's pretty clear about that. We don't give generously, not the way Jesus would consider generous. We don't, uh, we don't pray, not with the regularity, not with the intensity that Jesus modeled. And I could go on and on. But we believe, right? We believe all those things. And when someone attacks our faith, we're very quick to defend what we believe. But just believing really has no bearing on how we live our lives. It's not the believing that counts, although that's important. What really matters practically is what do we do with what we claim to believe. God wants us to believe, but He also wants us to obey. And He wants us to act. He wants us to do 
And we talked about this last week, that Jesus has a word for this, and his word is follow. Jesus calls us to follow him. And it's actually following Jesus, not just believing in Jesus, it's following Jesus that will make your life better. And it's following Jesus that will make you better at life. And it's following Jesus that really makes your life more compelling to other people. Like I said, following Jesus, that's hard to do. It's hard to do because following Jesus is going to cost you something. Here's my hashtag for today. Hashtag one another. Thanks, Dave, for leading that song. Love one another. Because what we find out when we start to actually follow Jesus is you can't follow Jesus in isolation. This is a team sport, this thing we call Christianity. It's more about we than it is about me, you know, our hashtag. Hashtag one another. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who, who comes on the scene several years after Jesus uh, is resurrected, um, Paul's a guy who originally hates Jesus. He's trying to put Jesus out of business. And then he becomes a Jesus follower, and he starts traveling around, planting churches all around the Mediterranean basin. He, he writes letters to these churches. A lot of these letters end up making up a pretty big portion of what we call the New Testament. He preaches the good news to Jews and to Gentiles as like, alike. As he talks about his conversion story and talking to, to people like us, you know, non-Jewish people, uh, when he talked about what following Jesus looks like practically, when he talked about what following Jesus really kind of entails on a day-to-day -day business, he makes it really clear this is a relational thing. This isn't just you and God. This is, this is a relational thing. This isn't a solo act. And then, kind of true to Paul's form, if you read through his letters, he, he gives us a list of all the things that, uh, that we would, I guess, hashtag one another. So Paul says, here's what it kind of looks like to actually follow Jesus, to act on what you believe. You're going to love one another. You're going to forgive one another. Accept one another. Serve one another, encourage one another, submit to one another, restore one another, carry one another's burdens, build up one another. Paul says if you're going to follow Jesus, that's what it's going to look like. And then some people say, wait, wait, wait a minute. See, I thought being a Christian was just, I had to come to church every now and then. And I had to own a Bible. And I had to, had to pray every now and then. I mean, isn't that, that kind of it? And Paul would say, no, no, that's not it at all. That's trying to do Christian solo. Paul is saying, when you, when you try to follow Jesus, you can't do it alone. The point being, it's not enough to believe it privately. You have to behave it publicly. It's not enough just to say, oh, this is what I believe if it doesn't change the way I live my life if it doesn't make any practical difference. It's, it's the doing that makes the practical difference. And this is a really big deal, especially now. And I'll, I'll tell you why. It has become very common. In fact, it's become a little bit fashionable for people to say, you know what? I am spiritual, but I'm not religious. You ever hear that? It sounds pretty good, right? Very open-minded. 
I'm spiritual, but I wouldn't call myself religious. In fact, it sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? You know, it just really just me and God is all I need. It's just it's just between me and God. You know, as long as it's me and God are okay, then I'm okay. And I'm, I don't need the church because the church is a bunch of hypocrites. Just give me Jesus. Don't give me the church. Don't I don't need other people. My church, my sanctuary, my God place, it's on my back porch with a cup of coffee. Yeah. When I get out in the woods, when I get on the lake, it's just me and God. It is awesome. I don't need anybody else. Now, as long as me and God are good, you know, that's all I care about. That's really all I want. And, and that focus is very vertical, right? Just, it's just me and God. That's all I need, me and Jesus. And that vertical-only approach leaves us very closed off. And it leaves us with a heart that gets pretty calloused because I don't need anybody else. I don't want anybody else, for that matter. Just give me Jesus. Just give me God. It sets us up to be very self-righteous and very judgmental. Now, I'm not saying this focus isn't important, for sure. I'm just saying it's not enough. Because when you read your Bible, you see a very different approach to following God and following Jesus. Because if it's just me and God, me and God, we're good, nobody else, I don't need any church, I don't need Christian friends. If it's just me and God, I'm setting myself up to be very self-centered, very cynical. That focus alone leads to legalism, and elitism, racism, God loves me more than he loves you-ism, I'm closer to God than you are-ism. Jesus never said, stay away from people. People are dangerous. We've spent a year learning just how frustrating and how infuriating that is, right? To separate ourselves from people. Wear a mask. Don't let anybody see you smile. Don't stay six feet away from everybody. Don't touch anybody. It's best if you don't talk to anybody. Stay home. Don't even go to work. Certainly don't meet in groups. And I get it. I know we had to do it. It was important and it was necessary. But hasn't it been kind of terrible? (laughs) Really, hasn't it been kind of terrible? Jesus never told us to isolate ourselves. In fact, he really said just the opposite. He said, I want you to be so involved in each other's lives. I want you to love one another so much that when people see you and the way you love each other, they're going to see me. And they're going to say, wow, they belong to Jesus. Look how much they love each other. They will know that you belong to me by the way you love. Love one another, forgive one another, accept one another, serve one another, encourage one another. All those one another things going on Who wouldn't want to be a part of that, right? People that are going to love me and forgive me and accept me and build me up and serve and encourage. Those are the others that I want to one another with. Don't you? I want to spend uh, just a couple minutes this morning looking at a passage from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. It's a pretty well-known passage. We're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. It... um, It almost certainly was a a Jewish man. Uh, I say man, it might have been a woman. I don't know. 
but it was certainly a Jewish person because whoever wrote it certainly approaches things from a Jewish standpoint. And he is writing to other Jews. This is a letter, a, a, a correspondence with Jewish people who have decided to follow Jesus. And as we read through a couple of verses here in the book of Hebrews, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice how quickly the author pivots between a vertical focus on God and Jesus and faith and a horizontal focus on God and Jesus and faith. And he makes it very clear. It's not an either-or thing. It's a both-and thing. So, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to pick it up in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... Remember, he's writing to Jews. And they would have known exactly what he's talking about when he talks about permission to enter the most holy place... He's talking about the Holy of Holies. He's talking about that inner sanctum there in the temple where God resides. Uh, We have access by uh, immediate and direct access to God because of Jesus. It's verse 20. By a new and living way. Not the old dead way. The old dead way was sacrifices and priests. Um, A new and living way. Open for us through the curtain that is his body. Not that big heavy curtain that's hung there talking about Jesus. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, and notice this is very vertical, what he's talking about. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Very vertical focus, very me and God, me focused on God. And then he pivots. Let us hold unswervingly. There's a good word. It's a word we don't use enough, right? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. He's been talking about us and God. A vertical uh, focus. Access to God. We don't need the temple. We don't need blood sacrifices. We don't need any other high priest other than Jesus. But let's be sure that we're faithful to what God has faithfully promised. Unlike our our, our private belief, which which is this way. We live it out. We we act it out practically, horizontally. And then the writer's going to get pretty specific. And let us consider. Let us examine. Let us explore. Let us give serious attention to. Let us consider how we may spur, and then here comes our hashtag, one another, on toward love and good deeds. He pivots from this me and God focus, me and God, very personal, very private, to this spurring one another on, love and good deeds, very practical, very relational, very public. Let us spur one another on. Interesting choice of words that the writer uses here. Let let us stir each other up. Let us provoke each other. I want to be so involved in others' lives. I want you to be so involved in my life that that you and I, when, when we see a brother or sister start to drift a little bit, we have access to that person because we have a relationship with that person. 
And when we see another couple that might be struggling in their marriage, you know, myself or myself and my spouse, we have access to that couple. Or we see someone's child that's sort of uh, making some poor decisions, we have some access to that child, not as a parent, but as someone who loves them and loves their family and loves God, as an encourager, as a mentor. We are to spur one another on. It is horizontal. It's relational. To do that, we have to be in each other's lives. We have to know each other. Direct access we have to the Father. What a blessing. But my responsibilities as a Jesus follower follower, isn't just between me and God. Between me and other people as well. To spur one another on toward what? Love and good deeds. That is belief in action. That's the writer saying, you need to get back on the treadmill. You need to take the clothes off the elliptical and climb back on. You need to get on that bike. You need to get busy again because just owning it, just believing in it, isn't going to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. You've got to do something. You've got to act. And then the writer stops preaching and really starts meddling. In fact, you're going to read this next part, and you're going to wonder, when was this written? I mean, is this like inserted into the Bible post-pandemic? How did he know? How could this possibly be so, uh, so uh, practical to us? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Has that always been in the Bible? Well, if you've been in church long enough, you know that has absolutely always been in the Bible. Because all my life I have heard that verse quoted as, see there, you've got to go to church. That is the proof text. You have to go to church. Which, by the way, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm a big believer that you have to go to church. But I think based on what the, the writer says before this and what the writer says after this, I think there's more going on here. In fact, I think that maybe this, what we're doing right now, I think maybe that's not even what the writer had in mind. Well, I, I think what, what, what he's saying here is you can't afford not to put yourself in a position, in a place where you can be spurred on to love and good deeds. You can't miss that. If you have an opportunity to be with people who are going to spur you on to love and good deeds, you've got to be there. You need that. And if there's some other people who need spurred on to love and good deeds... You need to be there. Don't miss that opportunity. If you're, if you're not spurring one another on, if we're not helping others, if we're not serving someone else, encouraging someone else, there's something missing. There's something incomplete about our Christian walk. So, you know, those who would kind of decide, nah, it's just me and God. You know, God's really all I need, just, just the two of us. He's going to kind of be the lone ranger in this whole Christianity thing. I don't need any relationships. If that's your takeaway, I think Jesus and Paul and Peter and whoever wrote Hebrews and the other writers of the New Testament, I think they would all agree you're missing something. You are really missing something. One, you're missing the responsibilities that you have, but also, and just as important, if you're removing yourself from community, 
you are leaving so many blessings on the table. You're missing out on so many blessings. This is, this is a one another thing. And we never mature to the point where we don't need one another. I mean, I'm a one who always needs another. And there's some other one who also needs my one other as well. So we're all one another's, one anothering one another, right? Do you get that up? Because I'm not repeating it. But I think you know what I'm saying. There is a divine correlation between community and faithfulness to God. There's a God-designed, God-instilled connection to being close to God and being close to other people. We vastly underestimate our need for human connections. You know, you talk to people who have drifted away from God. You talk to people who have drifted away from church. Very rarely will someone tell you, I just quit believing. I don't believe anymore. It's not usually the case. Very seldom is that the case. What people usually will tell you is, I just, I never made a connection. I just felt like I didn't belong. I mean, no one ever really noticed when I was there. No one ever seemed to care if I wasn't there. Or, if you have decided that I just prefer church on the couch. You know, it's really comfortable. Now, again, please hear me generously. I know that it is a wonderful option and that there are times in individual cases where that is the best option. Absolutely. But if you've just sat at the end of this year and said, you know what, I really like this. I like just staying on the couch. I, I, I can worship right here. I don't have to change out of my pajamas. I can just sit here and I, I can worship. Yes, you can. But I'm going to tell you, you won't sustain it. I don't, I don't believe you can sustain that. Because again, this thing we call Christianity, it's a team sport. It is a one another proposition. Without the Christian influences, without, without those others to one another with, without someone spurring me on, my faith is going to suffer. It just will. But I think there's something else going on in this passage that is just as interesting, maybe even a little bit more compelling. You remember that right before Jesus was crucified, he was in an upper room with the apostles, and he was sharing a whole lot of information with them, most of which they really were having a hard time kind of wrapping their minds around. And finally, Philip was there. Philip, one of Jesus' apostles, finally says, Jesus, just show us the Father. If you just show us the Father, that's all we need, because I can't understand all the things you're telling me. No, you're saying you're leaving, but you're coming back, and we can't go with you, but you're building a place for us. I don't get all that, but if you just show us the Father, we'll get it. That's all we'll need. And you remember Jesus' response to Philip? It's in John chapter 14. Philip, don't you even yet know who I am, even after all the time I've been with you? Anyone who has seen the Father... I'm sorry, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus tells his closest followers, listen, I am as close as you will ever get to seeing and understanding the Father. 
If you see past me, you've seen past the Father. If you stop short of me, you've stopped short of the Father. I am the best picture of what the Father is to you. And then, of course, Jesus is crucified. And he's brought back to life. He commissions the church. And then he ascends back to the Father. Paul will come along later and say, you know, the physical body of Jesus is gone. But you followers, you believers... You obedient doers, you people who are now calling yourselves the church, you're the body of Christ. In fact, that is exactly what Paul says. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. What does that mean? Well, one thing it means is that collectively, us, the church, the body, we're as close as we're going to get to the Father. I mean, this is it. We're it. There's something special going on here. This isn't a, this isn't a, a group. This isn't, this isn't a club. There's something special about being a part of the Lord's church. And if you isolate yourself from the body of Christ, if you isolate yourself from the church, you'll eventually isolate yourself from the Father as well. Now, we have all just been through a year of isolation. I don't think any of us really recognize or appreciate just how damaging this past year has been to our one-anotherness. It has been a tough year. When we isolate ourselves from the body, we begin to isolate ourselves from God. You know, Jesus says, hey, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with you. We're here together today in the name of Jesus. He's with us today. When you abandon community, when you abandon all those one another's, chances are eventually you're going to abandon your faith because our faith comes alive in community. And community is where we see faith work. And community is where we get to work our faith. Let me go back to Hebrews because I never did finish verse 25 there. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but, and then here comes the contrast, let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us encourage one another. We are designed. We are positioned. We are purposed by God to encourage each other. What's it mean to encourage each other? Literally, it means to give courage to. If you encourage someone, you are instilling courage in that person. You know why that's so important? Because being a Christian is easy. Being a follower of Jesus, that's hard. It's going to take courage to be a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus at work, that's hard. It's going to take courage. Following Jesus at school, that's hard. It's going to take courage. Following Jesus sometimes in in your own family, sometimes that's really hard. It's going to take courage. It doesn't take courage to believe something, does it? It takes courage to do something with what we believe. It takes courage to do the hard thing. 
It takes courage to do the selfless thing. It takes courage to do the generous thing. The Hebrew writer is saying, this is a one another equation. And if you're going to follow God, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's not just about this. And it's not just about this. It is about this and this. It is a both and. Okay, let's put all these verses together. Let us, he's talking to us, Christians. Let us hold unswervingly. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get distracted. Hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who has promised is faithful. God is faithful. God's going to do his part. What's our part? Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds because God's given us all a role in this thing. We're all part of the body. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, here's my question as we close. Is there anyone, maybe outside of your immediate family, is there anyone who is spurring you on to live out your faith? Can you think of a person? Can you think of a group who is practically, actively spurring you on to live out your faith? And who have you given permission to even do that? Who are you allowing access to your life to spur you on toward love and good deeds? Maybe the better question is, who am I spurring on? Who am I giving courage to, to live out their faith? Let me remind you of a passage that that we talked a lot about before the pandemic shut everything down. Howard mentioned it in his uh, communion thoughts this morning. It's a passage that we decided to commit to. It's a passage that we decided to be devoted to. You might have forgot it. I didn't forget it. Acts chapter 2, they, those, those early followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One another in each other's lives. Bible classes, life groups, discipleship groups, I don't know if you're a part of any of those things or not. You could be. Probably should be. But listen, you don't have to wait for a program. And you don't have to wait for a schedule. And you don't have to wait really for anybody's permission other than Jesus. There are a million ways that we can one another each other. There are a million ways that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. Yeah, it's not always convenient. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Usually it's hard. That's why we need courage. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching.
I've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement this morning. If we can help you in any way, pray with you about something's going on in your life, if we can, as a church family, give you courage today, uh, we'll invite you to meet us at the front of the auditorium. Let's stand and sing.